Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. Thank you so much. How good is this guy? Love this guy. Oh, and I love you. I do feel welcome. Thank you very much. Can somebody please not let me forget this? I'm just going to put it down there. But I don't have a good memory historically, so I'd really love it if someone reminded me. How are you? You're so good. I was just saying to Bron, there is no end to this church. There is so so many rooms. It's like a labyrinth. It's awesome. This is just as amazing as the building next door. Or is this one better? Better. Better, 100%. Yeah, okay. All right, noted. Um, I want to say it is such a... Hey, Alex, how are you, mate? Good to see you. It's such a privilege to be here. I love this church, and I'm genuinely baffled when you invite me back. It's my, <laughs> like, you, you don't want to throw tomatoes at me. This is amazing. Thank you. This is my fourth time in Tamworth in the last 18 months, and I just fall more in love with it and you every time. So thank you so much, uh, the Chapel Collective Church, for having me back again. Um, and I'm just saying, like, my parents are from Perth in Western Australia, and whenever I come here and I'm on the phone to them, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to Tamworth again, and they're like, what's the deal with Tamworth? You keep going back to Tamworth. Anyway, so I might just move here uh, if you, yeah, if you make a wave pull <laughs> so I can serve. <laughs> Who's in? Anyone in? Yeah, great. Okay, fantastic. I feel a little bit guilty. I'm, so I'm leaving tomorrow morning. Um, I can't wait to see my babies. Uh, well, my, like, my baby husband, he's not a baby. He's a husband. I call him baby uh, sometimes. Um, and he's drop-dead gorgeous, okay? He, and all my girls, I have three baby girls, two, five, and seven. First time I remembered that. Yeah, first time I remembered their ages faultlessly. Because I always forget the middle child's age, sometimes their names. But I don't know, that was, that was, a, good, that was a victorious moment for me. Um, what was I saying? So I have three children and, um, and I can't wait to smooch their faces. I think that's what I was trying to say. Okay, anyway. Um, oh, that's what I was saying. Um, <laughs> Can you, can you tell I'm sleep deprived? And I'm so happy about it. Uh, this is going to be a wild time, guys. Um, <laughs> um, I feel guilty because I'm supposed to be here to serve you and hopefully bless you. And I just feel like you've served me and blessed me way too much. Uh, you are my reward and my joy. I'm going home with so much joy because this is just an incredible church filled with incredible people. And I just want to thank you. So can you give yourselves a clap because you're awesome. You are awesome. And you have awesome senior pastors. All right. Okay, so so this is the sixth and final week of First John. Yeah, amazing. So I love the fact that I get to round off the book. But like I said this morning, I'm a little bit humbled because if you've spent a month and a half in the first book of John, you probably know more about it than me. So this is going to be interesting. But Bronnie did ask me if I could uh, maybe round out your series or put a full stop on the end of it. So I hope and I pray I'm able to do that for you tonight. Uh, And you're just going to ride along with me in all the Byron Bay craziness. You, you can casually judge me if you want to. That's, that's fine. Um, so, all right, this is our key. I'm like, get to the point, Nikki. We're going to get to the point right now. So, all right, my key verse for tonight uh, to finish off the book for you is going to be in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. It might come up on the screens if we're ready. Is it gonna, yes, the technology in your church works, but we can't really see it. So I'm going to read it to you. 
No, it's in my church, it's always a surprise when the technology works. So this is like, you guys are like Hillsong for me. All right, so 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. Did it happen? Yeah, okay, so this is John. This is John. All right, he writes, I write these things to you, um, to you who believe in the name, everybody say name, of the Son of God, so that you may know, everybody say no, that you have eternal life. If John could summarize the whole letter, I believe he would do it with this verse. This is what he's trying to say to us. If John could have chosen one verse out of the whole book to give a synopsis of what he's trying to say, it would be this. And he's not hiding it. He's pretty obvious. He's like, I write these things. I write these things so that you would know so that you would know the Son of God. And everything I've written here thus far is so you would know. You know, this, um, this verse is actually John's Great Commission. Um, every, Matthew 28 verses 18 to 20 is not the only Great Commission. Actually, every gospel has a Great Commission. You just need to know where it is. In John's gospel, which is not this book, it's the book of John, um, he has a Great Commission too, also known as his Statement of Purpose. And it's John 20 verse 31. That also might come up on the screens if we're ready. Uh, if we're lucky, sorry, um, but I'll read it to you. It says this, so this is in his gospel now. And he says, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. He's saying the same thing in both books. Can you hear the, the repetition? He's saying the same thing. So our key verse today is the parallel to John's great commission. He's restating in his letter in verse 13, the whole point he even wrote his gospel, and it's that you would know Jesus, the Son of God. That's, that's, and here is why. Okay, so the backdrop to the book of 1 John, and I'm sure you know this already because Bronnie is your senior pastor as well as Daz, but we know what Bron's like when she, she gets to exegeting the Word of God. So I'm sure you, yes, yeah, she's a legend and she's world class. You're world class too. All right. But the backdrop of this letter, I'm just going to keep moving on there. Um, the backdrop to this letter is the false teaching that is infecting the church, okay? Our false teaching about Christ and crazy people, most likely from Maynam, Mullumbimby or Boron Bay, they're coming and they're spreading false knowledge. <laughs> I'm on a roll, aren't I? Spreading false knowledge about Jesus and they're saying that there was no incarnation. He wasn't incarnated. And, and so this whole letter is John's clapback for Generation Z, his, his counteractive response for those millennials and up, okay, for that false knowledge, okay, to that heresy. And he's writing so that the church and so that you and me, you and me would know that Jesus came as the incarnate God. He's saying, no, no, don't you get to wrong thinking about Jesus Christ. Don't you get to wrong thinking about Emmanuel, God with us. You need to know that God didn't shout, I love you from heaven, okay? He came. He, he didn't send heart eyes emojis from heaven, okay? He didn't text us, all right, I love you in the sky. He came in the flesh, amen? All right, so this is John's point. He manifested love. I'm sure you talked about love last week, did you? Because did you do chapter four? All right, so you would have talked all about love. All right, love manifested itself in human form. He, love wrapped himself up in skin and bones and dwelt among us. This is what John is saying. All right, and it wasn't ethos love, okay, which is the Greek word for romantic love, and it, and it wasn't filio love, which is the Greek love for, for brotherly love, but it was, can you guess? Agape love. 
agape love, selfless, sacrificial, divine, otherworldly love that transcends any other form of love you could possibly ever know. And it's more than words. It's the word. It is the word become flesh. And John is like the New Testament spin of the book of Ruth, all right? He's spotlighting Jesus as kinsman redeemer. And you cannot be kinsman redeemer without being kin, amen? And you can't be kin without skin. I liked that, just added that in there. (laughs) So Jesus put skin on and John writes, so that you may know this. All right, and he's going to play on the word know, the whole book. I don't know if you've picked that up yet over the last five or six weeks. But throughout the whole letter, he keeps saying the word know. Or in the Greek, it's the word gnosis, where we get the word gnostic or gnosticism. And uh, the Greeks loved gnosis. They loved knowledge. And this is why John is using the word know. They were all about it. They're all about the knowledge, okay? Uh, They worshipped knowledge, okay? Not unlike some of our generation, actually. But very different from Hebrew. Okay, Hebrew is a highly pictorial and poetic language, but Greek is very scientific and intellectual, okay? And they just loved intellectual knowledge and they very much appreciated eloquence in speaking. So I clearly would not make their standard, okay? That I would be excommunicated. Um, But they loved philosophy and they would listen all the more to you if you just sounded smart, okay? And you sounded great and you presented with depth and and colour and and intelligent sounding language, okay? So it's no wonder, you know, in in Corinth, the church just got way out of hand with tongues, right? The gift of tongues, because they were really more interested in the expression of language than the actual content, (laughs) okay? So John plays with this idea of knowledge. Are you with me? All right, just checking. Just checking that everyone's caffeinated enough for this, okay? All right, but he's not talking about their version of knowledge. He's not actually talking about gnosis, all right? It's a wordplay. He's not talking about intelligent, intellectual-sounding philosophy. John is talking about a different kind of knowledge when he says that you may know. He doesn't want the church to comprehend Christ. He wants the church to apprehend Christ. Not so much gnosis, but there's a better Greek word, epignosis, all right? And Hebrew gives us a much better picture, actually, of the kind of knowledge John's talking about. So we'll jump back into the Old Testament. And I just want to read you Isaiah 43:10 because I'm pretty sure John copied Isaiah, okay? Just copied his notes, all right? And so we'll read it. It says, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant who I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. And so the Hebrew word for know here is yadcha. Who wants to say that without spitting? Anybody? All right, this kind of knowing is not about intellect, but it, it's, it's about intimacy. Intimacy. Into me see. And that's best reflected between a husband and a wife. It's probably the best relationship um, that would reflect that kind of knowing. All right, so Bronin does know my husband, Paul. Right, they've accumulated some knowledge about him. They know he's got great hair, not unlike a sheep, all right, like a lamb, like the Lamb of God. And they know that, they know that because of this, his nickname is the Lamb of God, okay? They know he goes for the Maroons, and they've already excommunicated him from Tamworth because of that, all right? So they know this about him, all right? They know stuff about Paul, my husband, but they, that doesn't necessarily mean that they know him. As in they know who he is. Although you had a four-day road trip, so you're probably getting closer, okay? But it means that they have intellectual knowledge about my husband, all right? But wouldn't it be tragic 
if that characterised my relationship with Paul. It would likewise be tragic, says John, if I spent my whole life boasting of how much intellectual knowledge I knew about God without actually knowing who God is. Bronin does know my husband Paul to a certain degree, but I know who he is so much more. Why? Intimacy, proximity, living in the same space, closeness. We, we live together, we, we walk together, we do life together, the journey of life. And this is the kind of intimacy Christ wants with us. This is the kind of knowledge, yara, that John wants for us for the church as he scribes this letter. And, 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 and I mentioned this this morning, I'll say it again, and I'll probably say it again and again and again, all right? And it, as long as I preach to youth ministry, all right, it's never been easier to grow in intellectual knowledge, ever in history, I don't think. We are one swipe away from YouTubing T.D. Jakes and Bronnie Bunnell and Bobby Houston and all these people and Darren Bunnell. <laughs> Is this being recorded? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Do you hear that? Not anymore. Can we YouTube you? <laughs> He's like, nah, he doesn't even have Instagram. He's not into it. Okay. All right. You can YouTube the greatest preachers and, 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 and also the not so great preachers, all right, and slightly heretical Bible preachers across the planet. You can YouTube them and that's kind of John's problem here too, all right. It was a problem back then. It's still a problem, okay. And so we cannot simply learn intellectually about God. We must know who he is. Come on, somebody. And between the intellectual knowledge and the experiential knowledge of Christ, there's a wrestle. There is a wrestle. And Jacob can tell us what that's like. Anyone remember Jacob from Genesis 32? He, Genesis 32 tells us that Jacob wrestled with God all night until daybreak. He wrestled with God, what we call a Christophany, the pre-incarnate Christ. A manifestation of the second person of the Trinity. Jacob, as much as John, felt the skin of God. He touched the incarnate flesh of God and he felt the sweat and he got right up close in one-on-one -on -one engagement. Proximity. Intimacy. He wrestled the whole night until daybreak and God could have obliterated Jacob on the spot in an instant, but he allowed the wrestle. He didn't just allow the wrestle, he stepped into the wrestle. Why? Why? Have you ever wondered why? Because the wrestle doesn't move God, but it moves us. It doesn't change God. He, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, but it changes us. Jacob was changed as a result of the wrestle with God. He says, do you remember? We don't really have time to read the whole story tonight, but he says, I won't let go until you bless me. Fancy saying that to God. Fancy saying that to God, but I mean, maybe we should pray like that sometimes. I won't let go of you, Jesus, until you bless me. I'm going to wrestle and I'm not going to let you go because I know that when I wrestle you, it's always going to end up with blessing on the other side. And God goes, what's your name? And he says, Jacob. Jacob, trickster, supplanter, deceiver, manipulator, what he had been doing all his life up until that point but at the end of the wrestle, God says, not anymore. Not anymore, I'm gonna change your name to Israel. 
You know, the concept of the name in Hebrew is so, so much more than, than names for us. Okay, it carries so much more weight, names in Hebrew. It's so much more than a title. It's a declaration of identity. By the way, the sound of children like making noise while I preach is not a problem. I've preached with three children running around me and it like doesn't blink an eye because I'm a mother of three. So let's go. All right. I love the sound of life and noise is life. Can someone say amen? Yes. All right. So here's the deal. Names are a declaration of identity. Your, your whole Bible is arranged around seven covenants, okay? So there's, there's six covenants that make up your Old Testament, and then your New Testament is the seventh covenant, and it's going to fulfill the six in the Old Testament. This is how it works. Covenant is the language and the fabric of your entire Bible, okay? And so to cut covenant, it's very important that we understand how covenant works. And to cut covenant, um, you had to exchange names. All right, so you would take a part of your name when you were in this covenant relationship with someone and, and you would insert it into theirs or they would insert it into yours. Okay, that's why Abram becomes Abraham because, because the name of Yahweh becomes a part of his name when he makes the Abrahamic covenant and Sarai becomes Sarah, okay, because Yahweh inserts his name in hers, intimacy, intimacy. And when I married Paul Dent, I made covenant with him and suddenly I went from being called Nikki Eastgate best last name in the world, to Nicky Dent. Took a part of his name and inserted it into mine. We sang about the name of Jesus tonight. And when God gives you a new name, he takes his name and his glory and his spirit and he puts it in you, friends. And the greatest gift God could ever give you is himself. And the gospel means that he has actually offered this to us. He has offered us his name. He has offered us the very essence of who he is. His name is branded on our hearts. And John is so passionate about you knowing God and experiencing God in a way that gives you a new name, in a way that you don't just comprehend this new name, but you apprehend it, you experience it, and you live up according to your name. The trajectory of Jacob's life was changed from the wrestle, right? When we wrestle with the word, We actually really see who God is. And when we see who God is, we find out who we are. Because how many know, if if you've read the book of James, that it acts as a mirror. The word acts as a mirror. And it shows us who we are. And do you know who we are? You would have heard it a lot of times in this book. We're children of God. In the Greek, it's the most affectionate term. The most affectionate term. But you'll never really know what that means. If the word of God fills your brain and it doesn't fill your heart, right? And when we engage with God, friends, and we wrestle with God, we wrestle with the living word and pursue knowing him experientially, not just philosophically. Did I say that right? Too tired to tell. Yes, I think I did. Not just intellectually, but experientially. It changes us. Does anyone want to be changed by Jesus? The Word of God, when we actually live it out and we wrestle with it back and forth and we apply it to our lives, it changes our conduct and our behavior and our temperament and the way we carry ourselves. It sets us apart and makes us distinct as a people who bear his name. We are Christians. We are Christ. Christians. 
we get a part of his name. So Jacob and John want us to know God in a way that transforms us. Intimate knowledge. The kind of knowledge that comes from wrestling with God and walking with God and encountering God and living with God. You might remember as I finish in Luke 24, the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Do you remember that? Do you remember? After the crucifixion has taken place and uh, Jesus appears to them, resurrected from the dead, and he walks with them. And he says in verse 17, what are you talking about, guys? What, what are we talking about, gang? And, 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 and it says they were kept from recognizing him. And so what Jesus does in that moment is he gives them a Bible study right there and then on the spot. That would have been a pretty epic lesson. And it, and it says, verse 27, beginning with Moses and all the prophets. So that's Jewish slang for the whole Old Testament. He explained to them uh, what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Did they get it? No, they did not. It says you, you would think they would recognize Jesus in that moment, but they didn't. All right, you can do 10,000 Bible studies, but it doesn't mean you will recognize Jesus Christ but here's what happens verse 28 it says as they approached the village Jesus kind of you know continued on as if he was going further but they urged him strongly stay with us so he stayed with them translation Jesus was going to pass by but they wrestled they didn't know quite who they were wrestling with but something in them knew he was worth the wrestle sounds a little bit like Jacob bless me stay. Some of you might not know Christ that well. I'm not sure. Maybe you weren't even raised in church or you don't know church world and maybe you're not all that familiar with the Bible, but there's something in you that knows he is worth the wrestle. And I just wanted to assure you as I finish tonight, as someone who has personally wrestled with God, he is worth it. And he's better than you think he is, and he's more than you could ever hope for. And when he was at the table with them, he broke bread and gave it to them, and their eyes were opened and they recognized him. They got up and ran to Jerusalem and found everyone and said, It is true, the Lord has risen and appeared. We cannot testify until we know him, we cannot tell the world until we know him. Church, amen. We're going to know not just the Word of God, but the God of the Word. Is that okay? So I pray. Can I pray for you before you steal the mic off me? Um, I just pray that. Why don't we just close our eyes? Father, I just pray that this would be a people who don't just know the Word of God with the incredible Bible teaching that is upon themselves, but they would know the God of the Word, Lord. I pray and I prophesy that that would be true over this house and that we would all together be a people of his name, a people who live out his name and lift up his name, the mighty name of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And everybody in the church said, Amen. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued, and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to thechapelcollective.com.au. And thanks again for listening.